sir. <laughs> yes, sir, I think so. All right, would you like to stand up? Stretch out just a little bit. He told me I could only have until 11 o'clock because y'all have night games tonight. I didn't think you did night games the first night, but uh, I appreciate you coming. I really do very much. Uh, you can tell the people back home the reason that you had to come to camp was to encourage an old man from Florida, and if y'all didn't come up here, that I'd probably fall out. So uh, I appreciate you taking the time and spending the money to come and hopefully give you something this week that'll be helpful and beneficial to you. You know, in life, oftentimes we have goals and objectives. We have uh, visions or thoughts of what it is that we want to accomplish. But you know what's an unusual thing is, is rarely ever do we take the time to evaluate where we are currently and where it is that we want to be spiritually. Now, we'll do that in life when it comes to school, right? We want to get out of high school, and then we want to go to college. Some of you want to go from college or not go to college, but you want to go to work somewhere or to do something, and you make plans, and then you think about maybe getting married, uh, and then you come to your senses and think maybe not so soon to get married. And then after you got married, you wish you hadn't got married, but then you're, well, okay, I guess. And so then, sorry, just cutting up a little bit. But then all of a sudden, you decide you're going to have kids and the next thing you know, you're making plans, right? But when was the last time you took the time to evaluate your own situation right now, but also to make an estimation of where it is that you think you'd like to be, say, a year from now? I'm not going to ask you for a show of hands, but how many of you feel like you're spiritually further along than you were a year ago? If I could show you a couple of things in the Bible that I think this week that'll help you to find that treasure that's in earthen vessels that we're talking about, most everybody wants to find a treasure in every other thing with the exception of something spiritual. When it comes to something spiritual, we generally don't want to do that because it's like, well, who really cares about that? But that is the epitome, the pinnacle of the temple of everything that we're trying to accomplish because once we get home to heaven, then all of a sudden, all that matters is what we did for him. If you're standing there, go ahead and pick up your Bible and look in Philippians chapter 3. <clears throat> now, I have to tell you this about this part of the message. As we set up things for the week, I'll give you kind of a general overview tonight, and then we'll break some things down uh, during the next few days. But one of the things is, is that you have to recognize that with spiritual growth comes pain. With spiritual growth comes pain. It requires persistence. It's unfortunate that we as preachers haven't always done the job we need to do to tell you that the Christian life, though it is the greatest life there is and though it is the most joyful thing that you can do, we have failed to tell you that it's not the easiest thing that you do. There's a constant battle fighting against you. Your flesh is against you. The world is against you, let alone principalities, powers, spiritual wickedness, rulers of darkness and high places are against you. And so it stands to reason with that deck stacked against you that you may fail at different times. But the persistence that it takes, the dedication that it takes to be successful in the Christian life requires something that most people don't want to tell you about. They don't want to sweat when it comes to the spiritual life. It's no different than any other thing you do in life. There is a price to pay. Not for salvation, that price is already paid. 
But if you want to be able to be more spiritual, if you want to grow, you want to obtain the treasure, not just that's on the inside, but the gold, the silver, precious stones to be pleasing to the Lord, there's going to be a cost associated with it. This is where most people, and I've heard the old preacher say before, this is the reason that Christians fail, because when they make the estimation, when they look and see the cost that it's going to cost them in order to be successful spiritually, you know what they say? Yeah, not so much, not for me. Some of you already know some kids that were here last year, and they're not here this year. And ultimately the reason is, it's because they may have messed up and they may have fallen down, but the problem is, is they didn't get back up. Here's the Apostle Paul, somewhere around 30 years after his conversion on the road to Damascus. And the Apostle Paul is talking to the church here at Philippi. And he's giving you some things here. He's saying, finally, my brethren, there at the very beginning of the passage. Uh, But then he goes on for another hour or so. So he's a good Baptist preacher. We know that. And uh, so then know what he says this. He says, pick it up in verse number 4. Though I might also have confidence in the flesh... If any other man thinketh that he have whereof he might trust in the flesh, I more. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, is touching the law of Pharisee. Concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is in the law, in the law, blameless. But what things were gained to me, those. But what things were gained to me, I held on to. No, he's not a 2022 Christian. But what things were beneficial to me, helping me, gained to me, those I counted lost for Christ. Yea, doubtless, I count all things but lost for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ." And be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings, being made conformable to his death. Notice what he says, if you will, please, in verse number 12, not as though I had already attained. Really, Paul, you've been working at it for 30 years, haven't you? Not as one that I have already attained, but then notice what he says. Either we're already perfect, but I follow after. There's the persistence. There's the dedication. If I may apprehend that for which I also apprehend of Christ Jesus. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended. But this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind, reaching forth unto the things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize, the treasure, we might say, of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Brother Miles, you pray, would you please, and ask the Lord to help us, would you? Brother Dennis, pray, please. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. Thanks for standing. Let me set this thing up this way to begin with. Would you agree with me that when the Apostle Paul came along and wrote this passage that he had to be remembering where he came from? 
Remember that he said he was a Pharisee of Pharisees, above the law blameless. Remember that when it came to being a religious person, a churchgoer, the apostle Paul would have fit the bill perfectly. As a matter of fact, nobody even ever brought up any kind of charges against Paul for saying that he was not legally a legalistic Pharisee, which was something that people attained to try to attain in those days. It wasn't like we use the Pharisee nowadays that we make fun of individuals who happen to have some standards and living and and those kinds of things. It wasn't like that. It was a sect in society that was considered to be the upper echelon of people that knew the law, that kept the law, and that sort of set the religious norm of those days. The Apostle Paul, when he ran into the Lord on the road to Damascus, you have to remember he's on the way to continue to persecute the church who he thought was against his religion. And so he was a very dedicated individual, but to the wrong thing. But he was sold out completely, even though it was to the wrong thing, and he achieved as high a level as you could possibly attain. Trained at the feet of Gamil, probably a lawyer, maybe even the chief of the police, he had definitely, without any question, had the ability to try people, to put them in jail, to make orphans out of children and widows out of women and those kinds of things. He could have somebody executed. We know that he was standing there when Stephen was stoned in Acts chapter number 7, and he held the coats while he watched him get stoned to death. So we know the Apostle Paul was very, very real and had a lot of zeal for what it is that he wanted to do. Now he meets the Lord on the road to Damascus and all of a sudden he begins to have this conflict inside. Do I want the Lord or do I want the reputation? Do I want the Lord? Do I want to know him better than I know him through all the religious things I've done? I've never really met him. I've never had that headlong decision that I had to make with him. I've never said to him, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? I've never done that before. And now the Lord's saying, hey, Paul, it's hard for you to saw, hard for you to kick against the pricks, isn't it? And he said, yeah, I keep getting stuck every time I turn around. And The Lord blinds him and then three days later, you remember Ananias comes in and talks to him. Are you with me so far? The Apostle Paul had a, shall we say, a career. He had an ability to be able to uh, already have his whole future is set for him. His 401k would have been set. He would have been able to have his retirement, probably had some some real estate on the river somewhere and was already figuring on how things were going to go and he was going to grow old doing what he did and then after that he would, you know, become a pastor emeritus somewhere and then he would step back and fade off into the future and all of a sudden he runs into the Lord later in life and the Lord says is that what you really want to do and Paul says you know what my name my reputation the things that I have the stuff that I can use to make a living with guess what it's a gain to me I'm doing really good I mean you know I'm driving a Bentley in the form of a four-legged horse with a tail or probably it says a beast you know, I don't know, maybe it's a special beast, and I, I don't know, but, but he was, he, I mean, obviously was doing pretty well. But here's what I want you to see, because we have to go to a place over in Genesis, but I want you to see something here. The Apostle Paul said this, and this is the important part to get out of tonight's message. Paul said, those things that were gained to me, I counted them loss. Not, I just counted them lost because I'm done. 
I got rid of those things, but I replaced them with something else. Here's something really important for you to get a hold of. Just getting rid of a bunch of bad things is not going to help you. Separation does not make you any more spiritual. I know some preachers are getting mad at me, but hold on just a second. If I'm on the same level as separation and all I do is get away from you, all I've done is stay on the same level. I'm just further away from a person. I'm not saying you shouldn't separate. Don't misunderstand me. You get away from the pinheads that are doing things they shouldn't do and from those kinds of things. But what I'm saying to you is, is that we've spent so much time saying, I don't like you because you're different. I don't mean queer. They are different, way different. You should amen that. They're way different. I'm not saying let's make buddies with them and build a bridge. We ain't building nothing. Maybe a gas chamber. But no, you got to take that out. You can't say that. But, 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 but here's the thing. I'm not saying don't separate. I'm saying that just separation doesn't produce the elevation that you need in order to be spiritual. All it means is, is that you use your religion to stay away from people that you don't like. It's called a click, and in some people they call it a cult. And I'm saying, I believe 100%. Can you please remember that I said this now for the folks that are mad at me? I believe 100% in biblical separation. But I believe at times biblical separation has been taught as if that is the answer. If I just separate then I'm good. No, if you don't separate and then elevate, if you don't replace what you separated from, you know what you're going to do? You're going to go right back to what you separated from. Because you see, you have to fill that hole. It's like being at the dentist when they drill out that rotten, smelly stuff in your teeth, right? And you can smell it and that drill is going. And even though there's Novocaine in there, you feel like they're like taking out half of your brain. And I think maybe they might have done that with you. I'm not sure. But at any rate... They're, they're taking part of that out and then all of a sudden it's like, man, but what happens if they leave the hole there? The hole can be filled with anything. It has to be filled with the right thing. So I'm for separation, but not without you adding some things that require, separation does require some preparation. What am I going to replace it with when I separate from it? You're reading the wrong material. Good, get rid of the wrong material, but let's replace it with the right material. You're watching the wrong things. Good, let's replace it with watching the right things. You say, why? We're creatures of habits. Listen, the nation of Israel took 40 days to get out of the will of God and spent 40 years trying to get back in. It is a lot easier to get out than it is to get in. Are you with me? Is this making sense to you? So here's the thing. It's not trying to be hard on you. I'm saying that I want to show you something else. I actually believe if you start putting in the right stuff, you'd be surprised how quickly it will crowd out the wrong stuff. I don't know that necessarily it's always good to just excavate all the things that are bad. Now, we got to go if we're going to build a piece of ground or build a property or we're going to be looking for something. you got to look at the property and do the evaluation first to find out whether or not it's where you even want to build. And if you look at it, as the Apostle Paul did, you know what he said? He said, I surrender. 
The stuff that I've had, the stuff I've held on to, the stuff that I was planning on, the stuff I was leaning on, my career, my commitment, the things I had planned in my life and all that kind of stuff. I count that. That's a pretty pretty harsh word there if you want to you know, use it in modern English. That's all dung to me. I, I don't care anything about that. Why? But I'm trying to replace it with something that's not there. It's my relationship with the Lord. So not only is there surrender, but there's sacrifice involved. You know why we have Christian failures today is is because we don't say that it's going to cost you something to follow the Lord. Look, the Lord says to you over in Luke chapter number 9, don't, don't turn there, but listen just for a second. In Luke chapter number 9, he said, will you follow me? He said, I will. He said, come on, let's go. And he said, well, I'd like to, but you know, my daddy's at the house. The first one, you know what he says to him? He says, foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, son of man has nowhere to lay his head. You mean I'm not going to have real estate holdings? Yeah. That's what it means. It means you're not going to have a house. And if you don't have a house, you shouldn't have a wife. So guess what? You're probably not going to be married. But guess what? You're going to be following me. There's no record of the guy following him. You say, why? He didn't want to pay the price. You remember when the Pharisee came up to him and he said to him, he said, Lord, I want to follow you. And he said, well, good. He said, uh, you kept the law. He said, I've kept the law from my youth up. I'm doing great, man. I mean, I'm smoking it. I mean, I'm telling you, I know all that. Love my neighbor, myself, and so on and so forth. The Lord said, good, go sell all you have. Give it to the poor and let's go. And the guy's like, ah, well, wait, I want to follow you. But I mean, have you got the, you know, the easy payment plan? I mean, can I like follow you and still hold on? Like bring a U-Haul with me as I'm coming along the next guy comes up there and he says Lord let me follow you and the Lord says a strange thing he says you okay come on let's go and he says well I need to go bury my dad and it doesn't say if his dad is dead then or he's going to wait for his dad to die but he says to him let the dead bury the dead my goodness man you got to be kidding me. the Lord's like I ain't going to be here forever if you're going to go you better come now right pretty big price can you imagine if your dad was dying and the Lord said to you, come on, let's go. Let the dead bury the dead. I got them taken care of. Don't worry about it. You realize the Lord didn't even go to his cousin's funeral? John the Baptist died. The Lord said, oh, well, John's dead and I'm glad for your sakes. That's in John 11. That third guy comes up to him and says, Lord, you know something? I sure would like to follow you. And all these other pinheads around here, they're not going to follow you, but I'll sure follow you. I mean, I don't have connections to my family. I don't have connections to my finances. I don't have all the connections these other people have. I could care less about all that kind of stuff. The Lord said, okay, good, let's go. He said, well, I, I do need to go back and say goodbye to my friends. Well, I'll see you later. See, the Apostle Paul is showing us something. The reason we follow Paul is we follow Paul as he follows Christ. We don't just follow Paul on epistles and all that foolishness. We're certainly not hypers. But the Apostle Paul gives us the glasses by which we can look through and we can take learning and learning and things out of the Old Testament and make a practical application during the New Testament. So Paul is showing us a principle that if you'll grasp this this week at camp, it may help you to be more successful as a Christian. I want to see some of you make it. I know what the law of average is but you're here this week I'm not going to try to bait you up by telling you oh yeah probably better than 50% of you're not going to make it and this and that and the other I want to see all of you make it I don't think you'd be at youth camp I mean there's a couple of you guys you're here looking for a girl and from the looks of you you're going to have to keep looking for a long time <laughs> and you girls I have yet to see a CNI dog over here so you better take a real good long look at what you're seeing over here because 
you'd have to be blind in one eye and not able to see out of the other to pick any of them. I'm just saying. I, it's kind of bad. Well, I kind of think he's cute. <laughs> You're insane. So, so, here's the, so here's the principle. This is the thing that you've got to grab a hold of that you, have to, that you have to realize. Unfortunately, when it comes to the Christian life, it's no different than life. It requires effort. If you're going to get the treasure that the Lord wants you to have at the judgment seat of Christ and you want to let out, Paul says to you, work out your salvation with fear and truth. That doesn't mean we're working to get saved. It means that thing that is on the inside, that treasure that you heard about, it requires effort to get him to the outside. He's certainly not there, and at least in my life, I wake up in the morning, I know he's in there, but I kind of feel like he's still asleep. I get up, and as soon as I get up, this other guy that's with me right now that you can see in front of you, he immediately starts whining, crying, begging me, telling me, ordering me around, telling me what to do. And I'm kind of like, hey, Jesus, could you wake up? Hey, Jesus, can you wake up? Could you tell this guy to shut up? And before long, I've been to the bathroom, I got my cup of coffee, and I'm looking at other things to do other than read my Bible. And I'm like, Jesus, can you please wake up, please, because this other guy's wearing me out. I've been saved since I was seven, 60 years. And I still struggle like Paul in Romans 7. The things I should do, that I don't. And the things I shouldn't, that I do. O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? For I know that in me that is in my flesh dwelleth no good rotten thing. I got a rotten bird living inside me. It's called a peacock. He's terrible. And I know you may think he's pretty and all that kind of stuff. He is an ugly bird. Now here's what I want you to see in the passage so that you'll grab it. There's a cost associated with getting treasure. There's a path, there's a purpose, there's a reason. Where are you headed and how is it you're going to get there? You can't just set out with no idea of where you're going to go. You've got to have a spiritual GPS system. That's the purpose of your pastors and your churches and your Sunday school teachers. That's the purpose of Bible schools and things. It's to give you the lamp to your feet and the light to your path to help you to find the treasure. And there is a map, and it is called a Bible. And I realize that we tell you all the time to read it, but we're trying to reprogram you. You need to be brainwashed. You know why? Your heart's messed up. I don't mean you're going to have a heart attack. I'm not talking about right here. I mean the one in between your brain, the one where your emotions are, the ones where the feelings are, the ones where you get and make stupid and bad decisions and stuff. The heart is desperately wicked and deceitful above all things. Who can say, I the Lord, try the heart, and shall give every man according to the desires of his heart. Um, wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his ways? By taking heed thereunto, what? The word of God. What am I doing? Keep thy heart with all diligence. For out of it are the issues of life. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. I point here, but I mean here. It's how you think. It's whacked out. Because what I'm going to show you this week is basically for you to be saying, I'm giving it all up and follow Jesus. And you're going to go home and your parents are going to be like, oh, no, you ain't. You're going to college. You're going to get married. You're going to have kids. You're going to have the car and the picket fence. Don't buy one of them electric things. I just saw an advertisement the other day telling me in Florida, 100 degrees, 100 degree humidity. You know what they said? They told me to turn up my thermostat and go buy an electric car. Now, now wait, hold on a second. I, I don't understand. Turn up my thermostat to save electricity and then go buy something I got to plug in the wall. Anyway, that's a whole nother deal. Some of y'all are thinking, man, that'd be cool. Just go get a golf cart and don't worry about it. 
It's weird, and one police department went out and they bought several of them because they thought it would be economically good. They're finding out two things. Number one, the criminals always get away. <laughs> and number two, you know, they do, they, they jump in the car and then the car's kind of running out. It's kind of like, hey, can I get a charge so I can get to the call? There's a lady got really, really mad at her husband one day and she came in and she slammed the bedroom door and she said, I'm leaving you as soon as the car's finished charging, you know. <laughs> It's better to have a gas fire. Fire that thing up and, you know, smoke some tires. I've never seen a rubber, an electric car burning rubber. I mean, why have a car if you can't smoke the tires a little every now and then? Right? Come on, guys, right? Yeah, man. I mean, like, let's uncap the headers, light, and let it, let it go just a little bit. Now, now, listen to me. Turn, if you will, please, to Genesis chapter number 15. You've got to understand there's a cost associated with being spiritual. You can't have both things. If you already have something in your hands, you can't carry any treasure. Is that right? Doesn't make any sense. You ever seen those little things where a little kid, he gets in there and he gets his hand in the mason jar and he gets a hold of what he wants and then he keeps trying to pull it out and, and he won't turn it loose. Now all he has to do is let it go and turn the jar up, right? But he's locked in and he's wanting to hold on to it. Well, as a Christian, you know what you have to do? You have to let go to get. That's weird. I got to turn loose in order to have. In order for me to go up, I have to go down. To be right, I have to admit I was, I don't like that one. I have to admit I was wrong. See, it's, it's, it's backwards if you want to be spiritual. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to try to use a biblical illustration to show you something. And I'm going to show you some dedication that's in Genesis chapter number 15. I think that's the first book in the Bible there. I think it's a man named Abram. Of course, here he is. Yep, that's it. Genesis chapter 15. Are you with me? We won't read the whole passage. But let me ask you this question, if I could, please. If there was a way for you to be able to know what the will of God was for your life, would you be interested? I mean, would anybody be interested? Like, indulge me. Like, yeah, we would, it would be really great. You'll get out a lot faster if I don't have to convince you to be interested. Like, oh, we're very interested. Get us out of the snooze fest. Okay, so listen, here, here's the thing. It requires more than just an instantaneous one answer to the question. When you were little babies and mom and daddy took care of you and then you began to grow, you began to get more and more responsibility as you grew until eventually you learned how to use a fork and a knife and a spoon and then you eventually learned how to feed yourself and then eventually some of you have learned how to cook. Maybe I should say that over here. Maybe some of you have learned how to cook. Some of these over here still don't even know how to change a tire. Maybe I should say it. You learned how to change a tire. So that way when the pinhead picks you up and you have a flat tire, you can fix the tire and leave him on the side of the road. <laughs> right? So here's the thing. You begin to learn that as you grew, there were responsibilities. And what that did was is it actually created a little bit of independence. Right? Because you weren't depending on everybody for everything else because you're learning to be independent. And do, listen, independence is not a bad thing. I'm not talking about being a maverick or a rebel. Right? I'm saying that it's okay to be confident to know what it is that you're supposed to do. But then when we come to the spiritual life, it's like, well, we have to always be running with the cliques or the clowns and whatever it may be to see if we can be wherever they are instead of saying, Lord, what do you want me to do? And that's the hard part because sometimes, you know what? You got to do it by yourself. Your friends don't know you. 
And I know you've got good friends. Look, I've had good friends. I've got some good friends. I mean some close friends. I mean, I've got some friends that really know me and they still love me anyway. Those are real friends. I mean, those are the ones you want to keep around for a while. But here's the thing. I mean, I've got a good wife. I'm glad she's my friend too. And I'm glad she can keep secrets. But here's the thing. You have to recognize where we're fixing to go right now. This is a personal, individual thing. It is like your salvation in the fact that it is something you have to pursue yourself. You can't pursue it with somebody else. Now, it's a lot more fun if somebody wants to be yoked up with you, but it doesn't always happen that way. So look, if you will, please, in Genesis chapter number 15, and the promise has been made now to Abram, and he's going to get the seed and the sands of the seed and the stars of the heavens and, and that kind of stuff, and he believed God in verse number 6. And then notice, if you will, please, he's going to give it the land for an inheritance in verse 7. And in verse number 8, here's what he says. And he said, Lord God, whereby shall I know that I shall inherit it? And the Lord says, oh, well, I'm going to write it for you in the sky. I mean, because I spoke it, Abram, there's, there it is. You shouldn't need anything else. No, he says an odd thing. He gives him a list of animals. And he says, bring all them to me and put them down on the altar. See, there's a principle here he's fixing to say to show you that before he shows you something, you've got to be willing to sacrifice whatever he wants you to sacrifice. Suppose this week the Lord said to you, I'd like for you to go to Bible school. I'd like for you at your age to surrender now to go to the mission field. Suppose this week the Lord said, I'm not really in a big hurry for you to get married. Can you wait till I bring the right one along? And in the meantime, can you begin to prepare yourself for... See the sacrifice? The thing is, is that in this passage right here, Abram doesn't get to choose what the sacrifice is. Remember the story of Cain and Abel? I've used the illustration before. Bears repeating just quickly. Remember the story of Cain and Abel? Cain comes and he brings the fruits and the vegetables of the ground. You all remember that story, right? And when he stands by there and then Abel comes in, offers the lamb, the Lord hits the lamb and accepts the lamb and Cain gets mad. And then the Lord said, hey, Cain, why is your countenance fallen? He said, well, Lord, I mean, I brought you the best that I had. I brought you what I wanted to bring, and I'm a farmer, and so this is what I have to offer you. And the Lord said, yeah, but don't you know if you bring me what I want you to bring me, that I'll accept it? Why is your countenance fallen, Cain? And he said, because you took my brothers. You didn't take me. He said, easy fix. It's an easy fix. Bring what I want you to bring, and we'll all be good. That'll be great. And Cain said, wait a minute, you mean I have to go to my brother to get a lamb in order to please you? i got to make good with my brother in order to do that, and then I'll be right with you? The Lord said, yeah, then me and you will be good, and your countenance won't be falling. Everything will be wonderful with you and your brother. And he said, if it means me going to my brother, I'm not doing it. He said, sin lies at the door, boy, you better be careful. You know what he said? I'm not doing it. Do you see the crossroads there? Do you see the willingness to surrender all of a sudden comes down to a sacrifice? Do you see Gethsemane there? What is Gethsemane? Here's the bottom line of Gethsemane. In Gethsemane, it comes down to this. Not my will, but thine be done. The crossroads. The Lord says, you're the guy. And the Lord says, is there any way this cup can pass for me? He said, nope. He said, okay, not my will, thine be done. So guess what Cain says? Cain says, I'm not doing it. I'm going to bring you what I want to bring you. The Lord said, that doesn't work for me. So this week, the Lord may deal with you and say, you know something, that's got to go. It's not always bad things. None of those animals are bad. They're innocent animals. 
It's not always cigarettes and liquor and pornography and and video games and all the other stuff that we yell at y'all about all the time because you're idiots if you fool around with it. It's not always, you know, the dope and hanging out with the wrong friend and the rock and roll music and the bad movies and all that. Sometimes the Lord said, there's an Isaac in the way. You care more about it than you care about me. It's not a bad thing. It's just the wrong thing. You want to get the treasure, right? Yeah, but not if you're not willing to turn loose of that treasure. Oh, man, that's a big ask. Tell me what was wrong with the Lord. Nothing. Was he not perfect? I believe that he was. Well, guess what? He said, that's what I want. I want the perfect, the most precious thing on the face of the earth, and I want the blood to be shed through him, and that's where it's going to come from. And the Father said to him, that's my will. And the, and the Jesus said to him, the Father, Jesus said to him, the same Jesus, God manifest the flesh, said to him, okay, thy will be done. Now, here's what he says to him. He said, you want to know my will? There's some animals that are there, and I want you to bring them. There's some big animals there. There's some really good. Some of them are three years old. That's like prime country. I'm not a cattle guy. I'm not a a person that knows all about that stuff. But from what I've studied about it, they're in the prime of life. There's some big animals there. There's some of the best animals that are there. And then there's some little tiny animals there, some like turtle doves and pigeons. It's like... What's the big deal about that? Well, you know me, I'm a preacher. I'll take a dish rag and wring it out wherever I can get something out of it. What I see there is, is the Lord's not interested in just the big and the best. He's also interested in the little and the small. Because the sacrifice isn't completed until it's all on the altar. Sometimes so easy to cut up the big animal, quarter him throw that shoulder up on your shoulder and take him over there like a butcher, like Tim Lambert, you know, and fling that thing down and go back and get another one and get all that. I mean, that's a great thing. And everybody's looking at you going, man, that guy's really strong. Did you see the size of that cow he put up there? Man, that's really something. Boy, it's going to really be smoking, man, and that kind of a deal. And then the Lord says, and what about the little birds? Birds? I can bring them in one time. Lord said, well, I want you to divide them. And you have to take them, and I want you to take them this way, and so on and so forth. Here's what you have to see in that. He brings all of the stuff that's there. Do you see it in the passage? You can read it tonight when you get in. i got to hurry. I can tell y'all are already thinking snowballs or cowtails or something. But, but listen, you know what he does? He brings it all. Here's what I see in that passage. It's not what went on the altar. It's how many times he went. It's like 14 times. You know, we live in this instantaneous society where we want to pull up to the thing. We order like a number one and a Coke supersize me. We're not going to go through the menu. And I think I want two all beef patty, special sauce, lettuce, cheese, pickles, onions on a sesame seed bun. We're like, give me a one and supersize it. That was back in my days. Y'all are kind of like, that's a Big Mac, right? But then we get that way spiritually. Lord, I need it now. And the Lord's like, well, I'm not in a hurry. But Lord, I mean, don't you realize I got things to do, places to go and people to see. I need an answer now. And the Lord says, one day is what the Lord is a thousand years and a thousand years is a day. <laughs> okay, Lord, well, it's going to be a long time. going to be a long day for you. <laughs> right? And so the Lord comes to you and he says to you, hey, listen, will you keep making trips until I tell you to stop? Something that's really back years ago used to be a big part of our movement was the altar. 
And the Bible starts there, starting all the way back with Adam and Eve. And runs all the three through a gamut of things. You know why Israel got in trouble in 1 Kings was because the altar was in need of repair. And they weren't making the sacrifices anymore. You know what they got tired of doing? They got tired of going to the altar. Here's what I'm saying, and I'm not saying it has to be a place at the front of a church. I'm simply saying that if you're not willing to confess and forsake your sin, that's the bottom line. That's the foundation, we'll call it. But after you're past that, do you continue to pursue the Lord desperately for Him to answer your question? Would you keep going if you had to bring something every time you went? I have to be honest with you, I'd be making more than 14 trips. Every time I'd go, the Lord would say, uh, come on back up here, I need to talk to you about something else. It's just a little thing. It's the little foxes that spoil the vine. It's just a little shaking of the cart that causes somebody to die. It's just the tiniest little things. But the Lord's like, no, it's still a bacteria is a little thing. And it's something that can cause a bigger thing. Those little things mean as much as the bigger things do. But you know what happens? We're sometimes willing to bring the obvious, the big things. Oh, hey, the testimony goes like this. I used to be a drug addict. I used to run heroin in my veins and I, I did, you know, all of the other medications and all the other drugs and I stole prescription pills and I did this. And I, I understand that and good. I'm glad you're away from all that now. And is that all there is to your life? I was a drug addict and all he did was cleaned you up. What have you done since then? Well, I was a drug addict. Great. I understand. Glad you're not a drug addict anymore. You're not really advertising well to get a wife. Because all she's hearing you talk about is you're thinking and talking about being a drug addict. You keep thinking and talking about it. If you don't replace that thought, you know what you're going to do? You're going to go back and be a drug addict. Stop talking about it. It's not great to put your sin up in front of for everybody to see. Okay, great. I'm glad you got it fixed. Can we change your mindset now? Can we do something other than dwell? Old people do that. Let me tell you how old people do that. Old people do that at high school reunions. Graduated in the early 70s. And in your mind you think, I'm still like I was in my early 70s. Like 17, right? Yeah, no. Ask my wife. She's kind of like, no, not anymore, babe. That was a bajillion years ago. So you know what we do? We go to, we go to high school reunions, or they do. You say, what? So they can brag about what they used to be. But some of them still are. They're still living back there and talking about what they did when they were in high school. You know what some of you do? Spiritually, you've learned from us old people. We've imprinted on you. All you talk about is what you used to do. I used to go street preaching. I used to read my Bible. I used to go to youth camp. I used to love the Lord. I used to sing in the choir. I used to, okay, what are you doing now? I used to go to the altar. I used to sing, I surrender all. I've changed the words just a little bit. I mean, I got the NIV version, I surrender some. That's better than most. That's the new words, right? Well, if we want to grow this week, if we want to get the treasure this week, we have to stop singing the same old song. You know what we have to learn to do? We have to go, you know what, Lord, you tell me what you want. Yeah. 
Don't wait for the preacher to say, you need to get rid of this and get rid of that. Because you know what you do? Some of you do that. And you're no better spiritually. Why don't you ask the Lord? You know what the Lord did? He says, Abram, here's what I want you to do. You know what he did? He started bringing stuff to the altar. Here's the part about this story that's an amazing thing to me. It's dark. It's just him and the Lord. You know, because sometimes there's things you put on the altar that are nobody else's business. Right? You don't have to tell everybody everything. Preachers are not priests. We don't have our shirt turned around backwards. And we don't sit and listen to you tell us all your filth so we can be like, oh, I got something on you now. Tell him he doesn't tell secrets. I've been telling him secrets for over 60 years. He has yet to out me. What does he know? It's a secret. But, but listen to me now and watch carefully. What happens here is, is in darkness, the Bible says horror of darkness. I mean, it's pitch black. It's black. Guess what happens? Right after he's got everything on the altar, guess what happens? These stinking black-winged buzzards come down and are trying to take the stuff off the altar. It's in the passage. He gets a pole. He gets a piece of pipe. He gets some PVC. He gets something. And he's protecting because once you put it on the altar, it's not yours anymore. Oops. Oops. Some of you would just as soon the buzzer grab it and get it off the altar, drop it in the dirt so you can pick it back up because you never really intended to give it anyway. Right? I'm just saying if you want to know the will of God, you know what you got to be willing to understand? First of all, I got to be willing to bring whatever. That's what Paul said. I'm surrendering. I'm sacrificing. I count it all but dung. Why? I'm going to press toward the mark, the high calling of God. I'm going to do what God wants me to do. I understand all that. Okay. Abram, same thing. Law first mentioned going all the way back there. Abram, bring me this stuff. But don't make the mistaken idea that once you bring whatever it is the Lord wants you to bring, hey, it's all good now. It's on the altar. No, no, no. Some stinking black-winged buzzard will come up and they will do their best to try to take what you laid on the altar and gave to the Lord, they will try to take it themselves. The family will come in and try to take it from you. Your friends will come in and try to take it from you. The idea that you're going to lose your freedom will come in and take it from you. All of a sudden your finances will now, if you do that, what about your college education? What about your smarts? And what about your 401k? And what about this? And what about that? And all of a sudden those birds come down right after you're about to have, oh, I hate to even use this word, this breakthrough where the Lord is going to come in and He's going to show you something, manifest something to you, give you a promise, and right before the will of God is revealed to Abram comes the buzzards trying to rob him not just of the sacrifice but of God revealing to him a very special treasure he's fixing to give him a promise that is still in effect till today but it's not without a struggle are you with me I'm almost done famous last words if you were here last year most of us feel like we're still here from last year. But you know what we miss out sometimes? Sometimes we misunderstand that once I go to the altar, I get up and it's all good now. No, 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 you better protect it. You say, well, sometimes it takes a while for that stuff to burn. Little birds, they burn up kind of quick. But some of you know a little bit about big animals. Even if you're trying to cook them, you know how like Thanksgiving time you get a, I don't know, 14 pound turkey because you got a big family and you put it in the oven and you're thinking it should be ready like 20 minutes, right? 
yeah, it's kind of like five hours or two hours per pound or whatever it is you're going to do. And it's kind of, why did I buy a turkey? Why didn't I just go to the store, get one already fixed, lay it out on the plate? Hey, babe, dinner's ready, right? But here's the thing. You know what it does? It takes time for it to burn up. You know what you have to do during that time? There's going to be a call. Why don't you go get it? Why don't you, why don't you go get it? I mean, what, what's it good to do up there? The birds are getting it. Why don't you get it? Isn't it interesting? They're blackbirds and nobody else wants it but that. Well, you know what happens in the passage right there? He winds up beating the birds off and he falls into a deep sleep and guess who shows up? But he doesn't show up until after the surrender and the sacrifice. So here's what I want you to see just to set the precedent for the beginning of the week. The main thing that stands out in the pastor a passage is not just the fact that he was surrendered, but it was the dedication to the duty. He just kept going until he got finished. You know, that's probably the most difficult thing you're going to do Amen. is just keep going. I wish I could tell you that the Christian life is like a camp meeting. And you wake up in the morning and you turn on the radio and they're playing one of the songs the girls are singing or you turn on the mp3 or the cd thing or whatever it is and boy you're just off to a great start and everything is just up the mountain all the time no it's a lot of sag bag and drag it's a lot of getting up and going to work and dealing with problems and dealing with difficulties and taking care of business and taking care of life and doing what you need to do and somewhere in there working in the Lord and somewhere in there working in church and somewhere in there doing and keeping the main thing the main thing. You say, why? Routine duty is the number one killer of Christians. You say, why? We just get tired of going and we get tired of doing. Believe it or not, it requires that devotion, that dedication to duty in order for you to be able to do it. You're not going to see the treasure I think I'm right about this. Some of the guys that are Bible expositors here can correct me. But I think that it says in 1 Corinthians 3 and 2 Corinthians 5 and Romans 14, I think it says something along the lines of every man's work shall be tried to see of what sort it is. Is that, isn't that right? I think that's in the passage, right? So that means that after I'm saved, I'm not working to get saved. I'm not working to stay saved. You've all heard that. But it does mean I'm working to obtain treasure, rewards, right? Is that, is that right? Okay, well, that means that I have to put in the sweat. <laughs> yeah, who wants to do that? Well, you want to grow as a Christian? Requires effort. Any of you guys go to the gym? Not very much, I guess, but any of you guys go to the gym much? Or do you run or anything? Y'all don't do that anymore. What do you? Here's a good one for you. <laughs> Do you sit and play games all day? I saw some of you with braces on. You got like carpal tunnel syndrome, not from typing. You're like playing games. Y'all are feeling guilty now, right? Okay, let's just use it as an illustration. I think you're an idiot for playing those games. Well, let me just say this. You, you didn't get good at those games without a lot of what? Practice. Practice takes time, right? You didn't get to be a good ball player, whatever ball it is, without practice. You didn't walk out and become Michael Jordan. Y'all still know who that is, Michael Jordan? Just checking. I mean, things have changed a lot, right? But, but, but listen to me. 
It requires effort. Why no effort when it comes to the Christian life? We're supposed to be working, right? We hear all the stuff about no works for salvation. I'm with you 100%. I don't have to do nothing to be saved. I can sit on my blessed assurance and do what I want to do and still go to heaven. No problem at all. I won't be worth much when I get there. But can I ask you this? What happened to the sweat in the Christian life? You apply it at school. You have to work hard. You've got to study that sweat. You have to work hard to make the grades, right? If you're going to play ball or organize sports, you have to practice before you can play in the game, right? Is that right? And we're willing to do that. If you go to the gym, you've got to go in there to sweat, to pick up the weights and do whatever it is that you're going to do as far as that's concerned. Why does that stop when it comes to the spiritual life? It's kind of like, oh, I don't have to work. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says you have to work if you want to get gold, silver, and precious stones. But if you have this selfish, meistic attitude when it comes to your life in Christ, guess what? You're not going to have anything there. You just will not bother. Or you could bring that to the altar and say, Lord, you know what? I need you to smoke this thing. I need to be done with that because I want to get busy doing something for you. So here's the precedent. If you want to grow this week and you want to get some treasure and you want to learn some things, it's going to require some effort. You're not going to get there just sitting there. There's a little kid that came into the gym one time. This was many, many years ago when he used to train a little bit. And we trained in there six days a week with these big old guys who were professionals and, and powerlifters and bodybuilders and all this other kind of stuff. And they're in there working out. And this kid would come in and he would sit up in the window. It had his big window in the front there just because it was in the shopping center thing. And it had a bench on the front of it. And that kid would come in and he would sit down in there. And finally, after about the fourth day in there, some of us guys were getting a little creeped out by this guy. And a bunch of policemen in there working out and different things like that. And we're kind of like, man, what is this guy doing? He's literally walking in every day. He gets a protein bar and one of these little green smoothie kind of things. And he sits on the bench and he's just sitting there. And now you've got to be honest now. If somebody's in there watching you work out, aren't you thinking queer? I'm thinking queer. That's what I'm thinking. I don't know what you're thinking. You might be thinking, yeah, baby, what you thinking? I, I don't... I, you know, I mean, it wasn't no skinny jeans in those days. We didn't wear like women's leotards, right? We like wore sweats, right? We were in there to sweat. Like you didn't wear all this like, you know, Hulk stuff and all that kind of a deal. I, I don't, but at any rate, it was, it was a it was sort of a rough sort of a place. And so finally the owner of the gym goes around there. His name's Jim Nelson. And he walks up and he said, hey. And the kid looks up and he goes, yes. And he said, what are you doing? And he said, I would like to be like them. <laughs> he never missed a beat. Jim looked at him and he said, well, you're not going to get there sitting in the window. You want to be like some of these great preachers in here? You want to be like somebody that you admire that was in the ministry or that was a missionary or that was a blessing to other people, you're not going to get there sitting in the window. You know what you have to do? You got to go to the gym. You got to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. You, you got to spend some time back and forth. You say, when? Until we're finished. Now, I don't know if there ever comes a point, and maybe some of these other guys could tell you, but for me, that point is yet to arrive that I think I've brought everything in my life the Lord wants. I'm grateful He doesn't ask me for it all at one time. And right when I think everything seems to be going pretty good, then the Lord will say, hey, come on up, I want to talk to you. Yes, sir, Lord. About that. Lord, I didn't even know that was a, a deal. Well, it is. 
Well, now we get this, why are you arguing? Right? Because I like it. And it's not wrong. The Lord said, but it's in the way. Right? You get the idea? So here's the first thing. It requires some dedication. If you're not willing to take a look at where you are right now with an evaluation, recognize you're already firmly upon a foundation, you're not going to be able to obtain the things you're looking to obtain. You know what you're going to do? You're going to stay sitting in the window. and still saved and you're still in the gym, but you're not going to grow. You say, why? Because you don't want to sweat. And I hate to tell you this, and I'm done. That kid started working out. And they shouldn't have done it, but they did. They kind of got in his mind that if you work really, really hard, you can get this done in a couple days. They put him on the bench. They had him doing all these reps. Then they put him on the incline bench. He's got this big old, we called him the rhino, this big old guy standing around, yeah, pump it out, man. And the kid's going, you know, like this. And of course the rhino's like, he's helping him, you know. And he's moving. Then they got him on the squat rack and he's over there and he's doing dumbbell curls and he's doing tricep kickbacks and he's doing all this stuff. He's doing lat pull downs, man. And the next day he comes in and he's like, And they're like, hey, man, you ready to work out? He's like, oh, 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 that hurts. That hurts. And he said, yeah, no pain, no gain. I wish I could tell you this in the Christian life, that there's no pain, but there is pain if there's going to be gain. You say, what happens? I'll give it to the kid. He stayed in there. And after I left there, he was still working out. And he went from being a pencil to at least having a pencil with an eraser on it. But, <laughs> but he didn't quit. He stayed with it. You want to be saved, all you do is trust Jesus Christ. You want to be a Christian? It's going to require some effort. And I'll give you some things maybe this week, Lord willing, It'll help you to start realizing, you know what, I gotta, I gotta build something here. If I'm gonna have a treasure to obtain, I gotta put in the work. Heavenly Father, I pray that you'll help us consider these matters, that you'll help us to ponder, to think about what we've learned here from Abram and from uh, Paul the apostle, the sacrifices that have been made. Lord, I pray that some of these Christian kids here will recognize their need for you and their need to be willing to make those sacrifices and to make as many trips as necessary to put in the time, the effort, the sweat that it's going to take for them to be successful in the thing called the Christian life. Pray, Lord, that you might meet with us this week during this time here in Indiana and that you might do something in the lives not only of those of us that are here preaching and teaching, but also on the kids that you've called us to preach and teach to. We pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.